Coog's house. All right, so I had a little thought experiment on the weekend after listening to some other stuff, some other shows. We'll talk about more in a second. But can the Houston Cougars in 2023 somehow be the TCU Horn Frogs from 2022? Hmm. You are locked on Cougs. Your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angel, that'll break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can lay us on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Uh, welcome back to the YouTube channel. Every day is good to see you again. We talked about the offensive line yesterday. Today we're going to talk some more about like high hopes for the season. Hopefully uh, later this week we're going to talk more about transfer portals and yada, yada, yada. Uh, make it to talk some to the BYU guy actually um, about entering the conference new. That's all down the road. So if you're tuning in every day, make sure you subscribe down below. Also remember we're giving something away every 250 subscribers at 1250. We're giving away a hat just like the one I got on Nike drive fit. It's got the locked on the side Cougar paw on the front. Looking forward to give that away at 1250 subscribers. We're just at a little over 11 50 right now so less than 100 away from that giveaway so make sure you go hit subscribe and then comment and like the video to let us know that you're involved if you listen to this and you're like i don't want to talk about next football season where it's too far away tell us are you a sock sock well we did that with the end of the day tell us milk and cereal which one do you go with first uh, and then also add in what cereal do you like to go with and we'll talk about what kind of milk you like later all right so today's episode is going to be broken up three different parts looking at High hopes, potential high hopes for next season. Uh, we're gonna look first at kind of comparing 2023 Houston and like what did 2022 TCU do and how far off the beaten path are they? The second thing I want to do is look at uh, kind of comparing like is it possible to do what TCU did for Houston? How how like what has to change? What would have to move? And then the third segment I want to look kind of at like what would what would have to happen in this expanded playoff or what do the, does the expanded playoff potentially do for Houston down the road after next season in the search for a national championship? Because frankly, let's admit the entire point of this thing is to try to eventually win a national championship. And while Houston may seem like a long ways away, the goal in moving the big 12 would be to be moving closer. So let's look at uh, TCU and what they did in 2022 for a second, because I think they lined up with, a fairly solid um, blueprint in a lot of ways for how a Big 12 team could get into that final four. I mean, the first thing they did um, is you want to talk about a team that didn't actually even win the Big 12 getting into the college football playoff. Um, they went 13-2, and two, and their two losses were in the Big 12 title game and in the national title game. And so I think, you know, it's worth pointing out that, like, they actually walked away from the season without any trophies right like it's a handful of individual players got accolades and things like that uh duggan did not win the heisman trophy that went to bright younger but digressing it's worth pointing out um that they did not win the big 12 championship and they did not win the national championship and so in some ways you might be looking at me like why would we want to be them and i totally get that 
but I think they're just the next logical step. And it's also like proof that a like team can kind of come out of nowhere in the Big 12 and make a run at this thing. Um, the big thing they did worth pointing out in the 2022 season that Houston weirdly has some experience in trying to do is they won a bunch of one score games. And I mean a bunch. They won seven different games by eight or less points, which of course is one score if you go for the two-point conversion after, um, including the most thrilling of which was when they beat Baylor at the buzzer. It's a, a buzzer beater if there's ever been one in football. They run a run play with the cl- get the clock moving, and then in under 13 seconds, 13 seconds, um, they won the guy after the guy gets tackled, the offense runs off the field, the field goal unit runs on the field, and they get the snap off to get the game-winning field goal that they had to run that distance to get into. I think Baylor was all like had prevent defense on the field, was kind of assuming it looked like they were going to just chuck at the end zone a couple of times. And instead, they ran that, they had no timeouts, they run the run play, um, and then get the field goal team on, make the game winning field goal to win by 1.29.28. Um, they beat Kansas by just seven. And worth pointing out that they played Kansas, much like Houston did, except that Jalen Daniels who killed Houston in our uh, Kansas game, only played the first half, got hurt right before halftime of the TCU game, and they just beat them by seven. Uh, They beat SMU by eight, so again, technically a one-score game, but they were down by over 20 in the first half at one point. Um, Oklahoma State, they they beat in double overtime. Um, They won three other games, so seven games by one score or less. Three other games by just 10 points exactly. Kansas State, um, they uh, first time they beat them by 10 points, they would actually lose them in the Big 12 title game. Uh, they won at West Virginia at home against Texas Tech. Uh, 10 of their 13 wins being by 10 or less points. That's kind of crazy. And frankly, when you look at Houston's 2022 schedule, Houston wasn't horribly far off from doing that themselves. A bunch of one-score games. Um, they had eight one-score games and went five and three in them. Obviously, the difference being some of the opponents, right? Like Houston beat UTSA 37 to 35. Houston lost to Texas Tech 33 to 30. Those are games that went a little bit. I mean, UTSA was not on, I guess, TCU schedule, but those go a little bit different for TCU, right? Um, other one-score games, I guess technically Rice finished up as a one-score game. Right, a little scary down the stretch of that one. Houston does hold on to win, though. Um, and then technically Temple's a one-score game, right? Although it felt even closer than that down the stretch. And I, I got to be honest, I still remember Matthew Golden catching that touchdown, uh, sliding into the end zone. I forget. I'm like, oh, my God, how they they end up winning that football game? Um, the most notable of those one-score games, though, was the Memphis game. And the way in which Houston won that Memphis game felt a lot like a lot of TCU games in 2022. Right, this idea that they're down, they're down, they're down, and then fourth quarter, Houston scored was it four straight touchdowns? I mean, it was unreal. The onside kick, Trey Ham picks it up, but the, all those kind of things happen afterwards. Um, that is to say that with all of that happening, it's not a like wholly unrealistic world in which Houston ends up winning some of those one score games that they lost. I mean, Houston loses to Tulsa by seven points at home to finish the regular season out, but. As poorly as they played, they had opportunities to win that game in the fourth quarter. Had they flipped the script and won that game, or had they flipped the script and beaten Texas Tech or, or whatever, any of these one-score losses, uh, Tulane, right, the same kind of thing, and Tulane ended up being a very good football team we saw, right? Um, I know with the quarterback issue, did, 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 did. Tajay Spears is the real deal. He got us, right? Um, 
I think the real deal there ends up becoming that like Houston and TCU's 2022 seasons were close, not quite coin flips, but to being fairly comparable. And that's with Max Duggan kind of running the show for them right now. Um, Max Duggan, I, I don't think I'm, t- he got picked in the seventh round towards the end of the draft. Like at the almost the very end of the draft by the, uh, I was about to say San Diego, Los Angeles chargers. Right. I feel comfortable saying that if, Houston had just done their part and won those close games. Clayton Tune would have had all the same accolades Duggan had and more, right? Like he was clearly a better quarterback and also for what it's worth had better guys. I mean, Quentin Johnson's really good, but like tank and golden and Sam Brown. And when he was healthy, man, Jack, like Houston had dudes to throw the ball to, um, had they done their part and won some of those games, you know, things might've been a whole heck of a lot different. So I want to talk something that, Second segment about what can Houston do next year to be like TCU because they weren't theoretically that far last season. But first, we got to talk about our buddies at FanDuel. Now, FanDuel is America's number one sports book and it is the NBA playoffs, which means it is time to make a fast break to FanDuel and get in your picks. That's because right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't when i'm looking at these numbers first of all i told you about the heat i told you the next we're gonna play quentin grimes enough and i would have gotten that one right maybe you should listen to me um those two teams play again on wednesday the line is currently set at knicks by three unless they start playing quentin grimes a lot more than they have been i ain't buying it i'm taking the heat in that one to win the game and obviously that would be uh, they're at plus three as well. I also think it's interesting in looking at um, in, on Tuesday's the game, they have the Sixers at plus seven. You know, Boston may win a close game at some point in the series, but I think Philly keeps it close in seven in game five. It's a really crucial game five. I think they keep it close in seven in that one. So I think I'm going to take them as well. Uh, I'm telling you, do all those things at FanDuel, America's number one sports, because there's no better place to bet the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so... In looking at this, I I actually found a lot of similarities in what 2023 Houston could look like compared to 2022 TCU. Um, but by and large, like the thing that struck me the most in this comparison was twofold. One, they're both Big 12 schools and as good a recruiting area as there is in America. I mean, you have TCU taking over the DFW Metroplex in North Texas, and you have University of Houston trying to lay claim to the greater Houston area and this whole coastal region, right? Can you name a better two spots within the same state for sure? I mean, even if you want to be like a Southern California guy or whatever, like 
the Bay ain't got what the other side of that equation has, or or like the state of Florida, I guess. Like, there's no two spots. Like, it's just a state of Florida or a state of Georgia or whatever. Like, the state of Texas has these two crazy fertile recruit beds, and they're both attacking to the side, right? Like, I think that that, that makes sense to me. Um, I'm going to go with those two as fairly strong bases, and they're both kind of working them as Big 12 schools. They both, as Big 12 schools in those recruiting areas, also have to deal with SEC poachers, right? They have to deal with LSU and Texas and Texas A&M trying to come into the Houston area. They have to deal with Oklahoma and Texas trying to and Arkansas even trying to come into that DFW area. Like they have to deal with outside pressures coming in to take their kids out. Um, I I feel like that's a similarity. I also think it's worth pointing out that like TCU did really really well in their upcoming recruiting cycle and going into. 2023 uh, 2023 season because of the transfers and people saw how much fun the program was and so on and so forth. That's a much more wildly successful year than they had the year before. That's not to say they didn't have high-end recruits the year before. We'll talk more about the recruiting at the end of the show, but I do think that that's worth pointing out. It's like their 2022 class and transfer class was not the same as that how strong the 2023 class is. So that doesn't seem like a fair measurement either. That'd be kind of hindsight. The other similarity here between the two, though, is the coaches. I mean, they're almost carbon copies of each other in a lot of ways. Um, both were co-offensive coordinators at Texas Tech in 05-06, literally worked together at that point, which is just wild. Uh, Dana uh, has moved kind of away from air raid principles, but they both started in that air raid area of Texas Tech, Mike Leach, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Um, for what it's worth, Dana has kind of moved away from that, hired Iman Yagavi and tried to boost up the run game. You're seeing the turnover off the line, trying to shift the way the game goes for them. And Sonny Dykes got to TCU and inherited a game, a run game, a team with a run game that was much, much stronger. And so to me, like Houston is trying to push the run game, and he Sonny Dykes fell into the run game, but they're both this air raid principle system with a little bit stronger run games than the average air raid system would have um for what it's worth i think it's also you know you got to point out that like sonny dykes on his career even after last season is 82 and 65 dana holgerson is 88 and 61 it's kind of the same especially after you consider like how successful sonny had to be last season to get there right they also come from kind of unconventional original backgrounds uh sonny played baseball at texas tech not very commonly d1 baseball players turn into d1 football coaches um also, like Dana Holgerson played NAIA football, um, which it's not that the doesn't football doesn't yield football, and we know the crazy coaching tree came out of and working with Leach and Al Mummy and all those kind of things. But also, you know, I it's not like the most direct path. Um, they're both about the same age. So the Dax is fifty three, Dana Holgerson is fifty one. They have a lot of the same things in common, and so it's not a, it wouldn't be crazy for Dana to have the same kind of takeover of the conference, the way that Sonny Dykes had in his first year in the Big 12. I know it's not technically Dana's first in the Big 12. He's at West Virginia before, but this is a little bit different. Um, the one difference that TCU has as a school and program immediately jumps out is it's a private school. And I said mostly say that it's got big-time money donors. There's a lot of wealth with TCU alumni attached to it. Um, I look at the Big 12. The big money donors have kind of dominated the conference for the last 10 or 15 years, right? Um Private schools like Baylor and TCU put out high-end, high-achieving donors that give back to the programs. I mean, you can look at the stadiums and see that for yourself, right? The facilities speak for themselves. And then, obviously, you had Texas and Oklahoma 
Texas to a lesser extent as far as the actual talent on the field, but dominating as far as like buying new facilities and spending on on recruits and so on. Um, you know, they have also done very well in the conference and both have high, high end donors, which makes them like qualified to get into this SEC era or SEC echelon, right? Um, for what it's worth, uh, you know, like they've been in the uh, the, the idea that hmm, TCU has been like this wasn't TCU's first time in competing to win the conference, I guess would be the thing to point out. Um, 2014, 15, they played Baylor. Uh, the, Baylor was six and TCU was uh, or five and six, back and forth, whichever it was. And they both missed out on the college football playoff notoriously, right? Because there was no big 12 championship game. And so big 12 championship week, they were sitting still while other teams played and got in and Ohio state got in and four. So you're like, what? And then they ended up winning the whole thing. Um, the, the, for what it's worth, that was the second of three different coaches that Baylor has won 10 games with in the course of the last 15 years. So those are the kind of programs we're looking at here. Um, as far as the money thing goes, I guess that also be working in Baylor's favor too. Like, things work. Um, when I look at like TCU was a non-Big Ten or SEC contender in a real way this past season. Um, and that in itself makes them kind of an outlier. I mean, Oklahoma Kind of had that a little bit, but they're moving the SEC, so it feels weird to call them Big 12. But they were a Big 12 program. Um, the other outlier that was notable was Cincinnati, which was an American Athletic Conference program. And they had to go 22-1 and over the course of two seasons to get their respect to get into the dance. For what it's worth, it was also a weird year in that, like, the top four, the top two was kind of obvious and top four was not so obvious. And that got Cincinnati, and I would say, as much as anything. Um, then they would, you know, Get in the Final Four group. Uh, they went eleven and three and eleven two. The two seasons part of that, so it's not like they had like bad seasons. Just had twenty two and one all of a sudden. Um, and then honestly, Wisconsin just stole their coach. So like like clearly that wasn't like a like long term program building thing for them either. Um, if you go back to twenty twenty, Notre Dame is also an outlier in this, but Notre Dame fits the big private school donors over the place, etc. Um, obviously high end everything facilities because the most money. Um, outlier in this would also be Clemson. Um, but I, I like seeing Clemson and maybe we'll do a later episode on this comment down below. If you want to hear more about this, I, I think this is an interesting investigation and rabbit hole to dive down into. Um, Dabo Sweeney had an incredible 20, like 16, 17, 18, 19 at Clemson. I mean, they had tremendous players. Deshaun Watson came in and won a title. Trevor Lawrence came in and won a title, et cetera. Right. Um, they hired him as a full coach as a full-time head coach in 2008. It took them a long time to get over the idea of, quote, Clemsoning and get into this era, get into this echelon of football programs as an ACC school, which I think would be comparable to doing as a Big 12 school. Um, And I don't know that every coach gets that patience. I feel very firmly that people don't want to give Dana eight or nine years to get good, right? And frankly, if you read Twitter and the comments on some of my videos, I don't think that people would give Dana several years of, quote, Clemsoning to get this right, right? So like, mm, eh, we'll see. I don't know. Um, but that's something that they did that may be worth pointing out. Um, two other big programs, obviously Florida State and the state of Florida. Uh, winning that state of recruiting battle would be big time, obviously, for them. They had a kid named James Winston, who was a pretty good college quarterback. Um, and then Oregon. While they're not a private school, they have the same kind of donorship and donor aspects uh, with a big guy named Phil Knight. They are the official school of Nike in almost every way possible. Right. So they have all the same facilities that the high end donors would have at the Baylor's, the TCU's, the whatever. Right. So I say that to look at like that's what TCU has working in their favor. 
and Houston doesn't. Houston has things in their favor. It's in a great recruiting area. Um, Dana has been in the conference before, so it's not like he's like walking into you know fresh water so he doesn't know anything about. Um, I think the thing is moving in the right direction. They have put pros in the. I mean, the, what was the stat I saw the other day? They're like they're the one of all, the only program in the state of Texas that put a D line in the, in the NFL draft four years in a row. Like those kinds of things are working for Houston. So I think you know, like. They can get over some of those negatives, but they are going to need to find ways to make the money, and they're trying. You see the NIL collectives. You see the different rise campaigns and stuff like that, trying to push to make money at the University of Houston. I just wonder if it's enough. But moreover, I think the thing everyone's expecting is if it's not the case in 2023, could it be the case in 2024 and beyond when they expand the college football playoff out to 12 teams? And I am more lukewarm on that, and I want to get to that in a second. So let's jump on in. Um, I I will say that I understand the concept initially that if you have more teams in the dance, Houston's got a better chance theoretically at getting into the top 12 teams, right? That's a, that's a very natural if this, then that thing. But I almost worry that the 12-team college football playoff might have been better for an American Athletic Conference Houston than it would have been for a Big 12 conference, Houston. Because truthfully, as TCU showed in the Big 12, if you have a good season with a bunch of close wins, you might not even have to win the conference to get into the Final Four, into that college football playoff top four area, right? Um, and if you get in the college football top four, you just got to win two games, right? Like matchup dependent, this, that, and the other thing, like, you just you just got to win two. If TCU had had to play Georgia in the first round, they would not have gotten to a college football national championship. But they lucked into, based on the seeding, getting to play a Michigan team that they matched up a little bit better with, just purely on how teams match up. Michigan throttled Ohio State. Ohio State played Georgia to the wire, and Georgia beat TCU like they stole something. So I don't know how to necessarily go back and forth there as far as like transitive property and things, but I do know that if you can get into a four-team dance and find the right matchup, you can suddenly find yourself into the national title game as you saw with TCU. If you're looking at Houston to do the same, suddenly in a, a 12-team playoff, you're potentially playing, I mean, if, unless you get a bye, which I guess would be nice, but then you're playing the first round where you're playing like the, whatever, the 12 versus the five, and then the second round, in which case you'd be playing the five versus the four, and then the third round where you play the, you know, five would theoretically then play, what, the one, and then you theoretically play the two, three, like all of a sudden those, like you're adding a whole bunch of games to this, and if you're good, good enough, you're going to win all of them. And I'm not saying that on every day that Houston is not. But if you're trying to sneak in like TCU did this year, that's a bunch of other things and opportunities for things to go wrong in. And even if you're good, good, that's a bunch of other games and opportunities for someone to break a shoelace, get a targeting foul and suspended, you know, trip on a water cooler and roll an eight. Like things can go wrong with more options there. Whereas if it was just the top four, again, TCU did not win the conference and they won t- uh, 10 games by less than 10 points. I think that that's the more uh, like repeatable model for the University of Houston entering the Big 12. Now, in the American Athletic Conference for Houston or um, you know, AAC teams, I do think that the 12-team model gives them a better chance to get in. But then look at the top 12 teams before bowl season last year, and a third of the top 12 was from the SEC. Three more of the top 12 
were from the Big Ten. So you're suddenly at seven of the 12 teams were from the two highest dollar conferences. And that, like, again, you're giving those conferences more teams and more chances to win the whole thing. There were two Big 12 teams, Kansas State and TCU. Um, There were two Pac-12 teams, although one is USC, and so they're kind of a Big Ten team, which would make it eight of the 12, first of all. And also feels weird because, like, we know that they are moving into the the uh, Big Ten. Um, and then there was one lonely SEC uh, ACC team in Clemson. So, as you look at all these things, I, I guess Florida State was thirteen. So, I, I guess they're close, right? Um, as you look at these things, I I weirdly look at it as like that's a thing that could hurt Houston. Um, the last thing I want to get into, and we may touch more on this later, but we're we're low on time here at the end, but. There's this idea of recruiting getting into this too. And Bud Elliott, I want to encourage you to look up, has what he calls the blue chip ratio. He writes for 24-7 sports. He's covered college football for a long time. And on the blue chip ratio, you take your four and five-star recruits and put them over and divide it by how many three and lower-star recruits you have in your 85 scholarship players. And there has been no exception to this rule. And as far back as you can find on like recruiting rankings, composite recruiting rankings, that the winner of the national championship game has over 50% or over 0.5 after dividing that formula. Um, So for reference, 50% would be 29 four- and five-star guys, right? That's 51% of the 85 scholarship players. 85 scholarship players keeps it kind of regular because every team has just the 85 scholarships. You're going to have a bunch of other guys and walk-ons, but that would kind of dilute numbers and whatever, right? Um, so 51% would be 29. So you have to have 29 theoretically winning college football championship game, but like 2021 Georgia, 2022 Georgia had 80 and 75% respectively, right? 2020 Alabama had 83% or just 0.83. Uh, LSU in 2019 had Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase and 0.64, right? Um, 2017, uh, was that Clemson? Yeah. Clemson had, no, 2017 was anyway, 2017. They had 80. Um, Clemson had 52% being the lowest the last half the last decade or so in 2016. Um, they also had a kid named Trevor. So, like as you go across this, um, across the board here, as I'm looking at things, um, this repeats itself over and over again. Moreover, what's interesting is more often than not in the top four in the playoff you're also seeing teams at the same ratio of 0.5 or better. I mean, 2021 uh, with Cincinnati, you saw the other three teams all had 0.5 or better. Um, 2020 was all four teams. 2019 was all four teams. Uh, 2017, it was three out of the four teams. And Washington, the fourth team, had just under, right? Um, this, this is a statistic that repeats itself. You have to have more four- and five-star blue-chip guys than not, or, or certainly have a, a sizable number of them because those guys are more likely to go pro. Just And it's also an athleticism measure. And it, frankly, having that big a number, having 29 or more four- and five-star kids gives you more room for someone to bust, simply put, right? And so what's interesting looking at Houston for 2023 is they have eight. Um, now, admittedly, their recruiting class is not done. Uh, this mathematic is not really worked for the idea of the transfer portal. We know Houston's being very active in the transfer portal. So it may be a little bit off in the big picture of things. Um, but eight over the other 77 is just over 
which is notably less than the 50%. And suddenly it's like, okay, they've got to do all these things. They got to build the facilities to get the kids in. They got these other things, but they also at some point need to continue to work towards being a program that lands more of those four and five stories. Now the class of 2023 is great. It's a great start. Killer some pilot, um, Parker Jenkins, like they've got, they got dudes coming in, but as you're going to continue to work forward and progress this program and work towards national championship, you're going to need to do it a little more often. If you've got thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, feelings about winning a national championship in the relatively near future, find me at Painsworth 512 P A I N S W R T H 512 on Twitter, Instagram, all of your different social media handles. How to talk all things Cougar football, basketball, baseball team is killing it. Uh, we can also talk about the Rockets and Nemo Doka and how those kinds of things go. The Texans, I like their draft. Tank Dell, go Cougs. Um, the, the Astros are, are kind of up and down right now, working guys back in the lineup, NBA playoffs going on, all of those kinds of things. So find me at Painsworth 512 to talk about all things Houston sports and more. Thank you all so much for being in today and listening to Locked on Cougs. If you're looking for a second listen of the day, I'm going to recommend listening to Locked on Big 12. That's what I listened to the other day when I had this thought experiment. But I'm also going to say Locked on College Basketball because I love the way Andy and Isaac are dying in the transfer portal each and every day. So I'm going to say go back and forth between those two for a second listen. And why not add a third? Thank you all so much for tuning in to Locked on Cougs. Locked on Cougs is the primary Locked on Podcast Network. That means your team every day. Go Cougs.